This is Leadership in Action, and I'm Casey Cheshire. Join me as we delve deep into the passions, expertise, and experiences of Boston area innovators. Sponsored by the Boston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, this is Leadership in Action. All right, and we're live. Another show in the making, another conversation, and this one is going to be great. Uh, my guest is a special guest today. I have known him for a long time, former coach, mentor, uh, brain, uh, friend, everything, all the things, and nothing to even mention business. He is a serial entrepreneur, a mastermind of process and people. Of, of weaving them all together. He can't help but make companies wherever he goes, but really he's, his, his passion is helping others in that same path and, and progress. Uh, man, and I, I have a few things written down here. When I was brainstorming the other night, he is the shaman of scaling, uh, founder and president of CE Painting, founder and president of Collegiate Entrepreneurs, and then also founder and president of Cruise Consulting Group. Eric Cruz, welcome to the show. Thank you, my man, Casey. It is so nice to be here with you. Makes me smile every time I see you. Yeah, same, same. You know, do you have your orange, orange watch still? I, I do have. I do not have it on me, but I, have I do it on? have it on. Okay. Well, I got mine on. That's awesome. <laughs> I can't awesome. say you influenced me in that, but maybe you did. I, you, I don't you're know. a serial entrepreneur in your own right, too. So hopefully who was ever introducing you is saying the same things. That's, that's what I, I hope. Man, I hope so. I got to get on some podcasts so I can get introduced. <laughs> um, well, hey, man, I, I'm so glad you're here. We only have so much time. And I know you're super busy and your time is valuable. That wisdom that comes out of your brain. Uh, so I just want to stop talking and, and ask you this question, the way we start every show, which is, what is a common misconception about leadership, being an entrepreneur and running a business? Such a great question, and I love the questions that you sent over. So helpful. Um, and this one it was easy for me, and that is if you're going to truly scale a business, you're going to need to have much more than good operations to be able to make that happen. And that is what it, it's, it's not even a, a misconception that a lot of business people uh, have, which, is, which it certainly is. It's a misconception I have had uh, probably the majority of my business life. So it's one that not only is out there, it's one that I've lived. And, um, and I've learned my lessons like everything else the hard way on this one. Um, so it's, a, it's really important to me. So it's a great question for me to ask. So tell me about this. It's, it's not just, how, why do we believe this? How do we fall in this trap? The idea of that just good ops, good ops alone, and that thing will grow. Just make that product sexy and it'll just get pulled off the shelves. It's more than that. But yeah. why do we think, why do we think that just good ops alone will make it happen? It, it's a great question. And if you think, so it's, it's not difficult to see the answer to that when you think about all the information that's out there in the business world, people that are trying to help you. You know, we're both members of the Entrepreneurs Organization, which has, you know, been a phenomenal group to be in. I've been, been a member for, I don't know, 16 years now. But a lot of the speakers are about how to run a better business. A lot of business books are about how to run a better business. Uh, a lot of systems are about how to run a better business. Um, but they're 90% of the time focusing on how to run a better business operationally. You know, how do I get better as a, as a president, and you can hear those messages and think, well, if I do these things, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scale my business. And the reality is you can run a really good business doing a lot of those things, but it does not necessarily mean you're going to scale your business. Um, it, you, and there's a big difference between a business that runs well and a business that scales. Ideally, a business that scales also should run well, but it actually, it's not even always true. A lot of amazing businesses we do business with don't even run that well, but we still are buying their products like hotcakes. So, uh, you know, we certainly are big believers of running a good business operationally, um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's also easy. It's much easier uh, for, it's, uh, it's easier for us as consultants. It's easier for us as entrepreneurs to fix operations. And easy, I say, you know, with, with, a, with a light touch on that, because it's not easy, but it's easier to focus on, on the fundamentals of running a great business. It's harder to actually have a business that has the strategy to scale. That's a hard thing. And a lot of entrepreneurs never even want to look at that in their whole careers because it's hard to do that. So yeah. that's why it's the, it's the low hanging fruit. How to run a great business is low hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit. And as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, it's something you can control. 
Like you can decide, yeah. hey, we're going to have this internal operational meeting. We're going to track yes. it this way. We're going to op- change this process. We're going to micromanage this car. Right. Like you could have the best car manufacturing facility ever, you know, practice all of the Six Sigmas and go to the ninth degree. But that doesn't mean anyone's going to buy that car. Right? That's correct. We can't that's control correct. the buyer. Right. And so that's the scary part. Yeah. And it's also compounded, it's compounded because, and you know this, because you've, you've built your own great well-running companies on uh, yourself. It's compounded, the issue is compounded by the fact that it's, it's also necessary to do it. So when you're doing it, you're like, you realize this is necessary, I should be doing this. And the answer is, you are correct. You should be trying to run a great business, but that's not all of it. So you feel like right. you're doing the right stuff and you are, but it's not all of it. Right. And I know there's sometimes there's, there's systems out there and it can be dangerous depending on which system and framework you drop into your company, because you may end up with one that it kind of keeps looking inward and keeps directing you. Sometimes the systems themselves keep pointing you at, well, what's wrong here. And maybe from an issues list, let's decide what needs to be fixed. But maybe it's like, Hey, we we need to fix this top line number over here. We need to go, what's our go-to-market, you know, what are all these other things? And and it could be safer to try to fix that product yeah, offering you, or that you've nailed delivery. it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You've nailed it. And like me, you've lived, you've lived. This yeah, journey, you know, definitely. I've definitely lived that. Yeah. You have. Yeah. Um, you feel good after that meeting, right? Like, Oh, we're going to yeah. fix all these internal operational yep. issues. We're going to be running so sweet. And then you're back of your mind. You're thinking, Hmm, I hope we make our sales number. <laughs> and, and that's what, it's what we deal with. Right. Yeah. And it's, and you know, yes. Um, you know, earlier what the myth is and what, you know, what, you know, what I, what we worry about as a company, that's it. So we will, as a consulting company, we work with close to hundred companies and we look at these lists and we'll run these meetings. And I work with a consulting team and we'll look at the numbers for how they're doing quarter by quarter. And they'll say, well, the company's running great. And I'll say, numbers don't tell me that numbers tell me the company's not doing great. Um, And we'll look at those numbers and we dive in. And internally we ask those questions, which is if they are running well, and which a lot of times I hear that the company's running well, then why is the market not loving it more? You know, is they, are they at the top of their market? You know, there's stuff that I can go into a little more deeper, but a little more deeply, but the reality is that, you know, I see a lot of well-run companies and just, that they just, they fail, they fall flat. And yeah. Were they looking at ops numbers, just like the myth they they were looking at? Oh, look at those, look at those ops numbers. They've they've established. Even even companies that are profitable, that are growing, you know, 10%, 15%, which is good. Don't get me wrong. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're running a business growing like that, congratulations. But if you're trying to be the next best, biggest thing, and you want to have, you know, make some real wealth for yourself, that ain't going to do it. And you got to think, you got to think bigger, you know, Uh, and, and to do that, you're going to have to say, well, if we're not scaling as fast as we'd like to be scaling numbers wise, but we feel like we're running a great business. Um, why is that? Uh, one of the companies I worked with for years, one of the CFOs in that company who now works for us, I'm thankful that company got sold and that CFO works for us and actually runs our finance division. He asked a great question in one of our quarterly meetings years ago before we sold the business. He, he, he said, he said, I, I know we have a great product. And, and we have a decent, we're making good money and we're growing at a decent rate, not great, but decent. We know we have a great product. We know customers don't leave us. Why is the product not flying off the shelves? It's a great question. Everybody loves us. Everybody's staying here and our company's running well. Why is the product not flying off the shelves? Yeah. Then you got to get into strategy. Is it pricing? Is it the right target market? Is our messaging right? But the company was running great. And everybody loved it. And the churn numbers were low, but you know, that's when you got to step back and you got to say, why are we beating ourselves against the wall here? Like the company runs great. Why is the market not absolutely loving this? Why is there friction against our sale? Right. Yeah. That's a powerful, hard question to answer, but yeah, some of the best questions don't have an immediate answer, but I guess this is a perfect time then to say like, I'm bought in. I know it's not operationals now. I, I know we got to focus on on all sides, whatever th- those might be. So, so what then do you recommend if it isn't just focusing zero in on just ops? How right. do you scale a company? Yeah, it's a great question. So, one of our guiding principles in our business is, um, you know, we have we have is remember what remember what matters most. 
It's one of the things we say to our clients all the time, what matters most? And we say it's, it's, it's three things. It's, it's the same three things you must remember obsessively at all times. And they are, number one, your customers must absolutely love what you have to offer and they must love doing business with you. That is number one. They must love what you have to offer and they must love doing business with you. Number two, your employees must absolutely love working with you. Um, or you're going to have churn issues with employees and that's going to create problems with servicing your clients. And number three, you have to make money while you're doing it. And if any of those three legs of that stool are off, you're going to struggle. Um, but in terms of the strategy, it's really number one. Do our customers absolutely love us to a degree where they're just, they absolutely just are talking about us. They think we're amazing. Uh, do they love doing business with us as well? Um, so the question is then how do you achieve that? So if you use that as a guiding light, like if our customers don't absolutely love us, you know, and, and, I, and I challenge, you know, before I go into these, into these five things that we have as a checklist here, I challenge anybody who's listening to really, and this is really where my aha came as a, as a, as a business owner. I started thinking about the companies that I love doing business with and realizing a lot of them aren't really run that well, honestly, but it's not going to stop me from, from giving them my money. It comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a lot of them. You know, I actually probably do business more with more companies that aren't run well than companies that are. Mm. Um, and, and I'll tell you, in our opinion, how we have, how they break down in terms of how they do it. Yeah. But, um, you know, we are certainly, my, my family's huge Disney fans. We go to Disney all the time. Yeah. Uh, I personally think that they're amazing at their product. So we keep going. I think they're partially run well, although they're not running that well right now, in my opinion, just my opinion. Um, they probably will get through it, but their product is amazing. Like their product is amazing. They keep doing a much better job with their product. Um, uh, uh, Apple. I love Apple products. I do not like interacting with Apple and almost at any level. But you can't, right? There's no yeah, way to interact you with You just can't do it. You just can't, <laughs> you can't do it. It's not, it's not, it's really not that functional. You, you can't true. do it. Um, so, and I could, I could, I could keep going on, honestly. Um, okay. you know, I love Uber. It's, it's funny though. I would, oh, Uber, I would say that, you know, Apple and Disney have their shit together, but you're saying yeah. they don't. I think they have their shit together operationally, but is it is it a fun experience for me to, to, to interact with them as a, as a company? Not really. Like I like interacting with with the product of my Apple. Do I like interacting with them as a company? I don't really. Oh, I get you. Like the human side of it. Yeah. 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 It's not. Yeah. I, if, and if you go into these companies, which we do internally, operationally, they have a lot of great things going for them, but they have a lot of messes. You know, there's a lot oh, of messes gotcha. internally, but their offering is phenomenal. Why do we right. like Disney? Sure, has great culture, has all that kind of great stuff, and that stuff is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but the product out of all that is absolutely incredible. The Apple product is incredible. True. Amazon certainly well run. Is that why we buy from it? No, they have an incredible strategy that they're enacting from the top. Mm. Now there are certainly some companies that operations is just the thing. Companies like Zappos. Zappos has got core values down. You know they did. They have, I think they're having troubles now, but they had core values down pat. Um, and I don't really know what their strategy is. Um, lots of products and all that kind of stuff. And people like part, interacting with them. Yes. Yeah, they, that's right. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know, they like interacting with them, they like the culture of it and they like that, but the companies that nail it, nail the product. Now, mm -hmm. granted it comes and that's, and you're going to see why I recommend, you know, these five things in a second. Uh, but you gotta have that amazing product first. So, um, you know, Disney right now is price is pricing us out of the market. It's crazy. It's funny that you go online right now and look at the Disney comment string. You're going to get 80% negative and 20% positive right now. Are, are they packed to capacity? Yep. They're packed to capacity. The, so like the park prices have gone parks up? Are, everything? Parks are, no, the park prices are through the roof right now. If anybody's wow. listening from Disney, they'll know what I'm talking about. Their new systems are difficult to follow, but their product is absolutely amazing. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? So I'll go into the five things that we've come up with that you got to be thinking about. And it's are funny, these the I'm five gonna, things that, that you think about if you said you're going to try part, and solve this problem, if yeah, they're if not you're loving bust what you do. This myth, yeah. You're going to bust this myth. Here's what you got to do. Okay. So first and foremost, um, you do, you're, you're going to have to, you know, I'm going to contradict myself. You're going to have to get your business to be operationally strong. You, just, you do need to do that, that basic thing. You got to do it. So it's almost a table stakes. So when I say it's not, it's not going to necessarily scale your business, it doesn't mean you don't need to do it. Okay. So there are some amazing systems out there that I think actually are quite good at getting your business operationally strong. 
And mm-hmm. we have a system for that. Other companies have systems for that. There are great books around that that are out there. What's your system called? Uh, growth. We have a growth, growth operating system called Growth. Cool. And it's 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 designed partially to do just that because you got to have it. You know, yeah. that's going to nail that culture. Like if Disney didn't have that culture, they would have a problem at the root. So that culture is helping win that game. Apple, as much as I don't love interacting with them and I can't get anybody on the phone and they're, they're tough to deal with it personally, their, pro- their culture internally allows them to make great products. So you got to nail that internal operation stuff. So if you're a person listening right now and you think, well, I, I, I do I not nail my operations? No, the answer is you 100% do need to nail your operations. So the first thing is you don't have to not nail your operations. Two quick question on that though. Quick question. Cause it sounds like it's almost a balance, right? You need to nail it to a certain degree, but don't go overboard and keep obsessing over it. So where's the line where you know that you've, you've uh, sort of nailed it enough so you can go on to step two. You are as smart as you are. Good looking. Hey, is it, <laughs> is this a podcast or is this a consulting uh, session? Uh, so <laughs> that is such a tough and good question. Yeah. So we don't have formulas around that exact answer other than to say you got to watch your churn numbers. So you got to watch your numbers, right? I am sure if Disney's park attendance was not filling up or they weren't in their metrics, they would experiment with their strategy. You know, they would, they would with their pricing strategy, with their operations, or whatever they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to tweak that. So they have that balance down. So there's, it basically, we do it by the numbers, you know, People are upset. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, how does the business look? Well, they're still around. They're still buying it. Oh, then we're going to take that level of upsetness because it's still, the numbers are still working. Um, And I will tell you, and I have, you know, I won't even mention them, but there are peers that I do business with that their churn rates are, are still really high. Mm. But like I say, how your business keep growing. And they say, because we're okay with that churn rate. Cause our strategy is to have a churn rate. That's actually this. And to price it this way, and the God. pricing makes the gross margin high, the churn balances that out. Our marketing strategy spend is this, and we're okay with that level of churn. And it's part of our model, actually. And the business takes off and launches. It's crazy, but that's how it works. It is crazy. You know? Yeah. It's, so it's all about modeling. So you got to have your model down and figure out what your churn numbers should be. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm not saying. Uh, that you, the strategy is going to replace that, that, that customer satisfaction. And in fact, it's going to be one of the things on my list here, but you got to get your business to be operationally strong enough. Um, right. You know, so that way you're not putting out fires constantly. You, you cor- get it to a correct. point where you're delivering consistently. You can always make it better and people can think about that, but That's you get it to a point where you feel good and churn yeah. is good. You just gave, you asked a great question earlier about, you know, so uh, about businesses that are still doing well, even though they may not be running operationally strong. So, we just had a client get bought, uh, I won't say the name, but, uh, for a large amount of cash. And uh, it was great sale. It was great for that company too. They had a great buyer, really a great buyer. But when this company merged into that company and that company is killing it, the company that bought them, uh, my client said, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of issues that we didn't have. Uh, but the company's growing like gangbusters. And they say, you know, I want to try and fix it. And I say, well, Definitely try and fix the operations for sure, but understand that that company is not growing because of all the stuff that we did as a small business. They have a different strategy, and that strategy is based on acquisitions and churn numbers and investing and marketing spend, and that's why they're killing it. And that company is probably going to likely be worth billions of dollars. Yes. And it so and it's not because they're a complete. They're not a mess internally operationally, but they they accept there's a certain level of of being okay. But they can't set that company's not going to sacrifice the growth, uh, which is what our system's all about, uh, for nailing being perfect at the operations level. So it's interesting. It was interesting to watch it. And my client was a little shocked. He's like, I think we could fix this company. And I said, I think we could too. But I can tell you, I bet you it's not their top concern. Right. The top concern Prioritize. right now is growing that business. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So, great, great illustration of, of yeah, how not to get obsessed with one over the other. You can't. But what, like I said, Still number one, when mm-hmm. we go work with a company, we tell them we're going to spend our first year making sure that you're not so dysfunctional internally that you can't scale the business. So right. we want your business to be operationally strong. So if you're a listener and you're using a system to do that, keep doing it because you're, okay. you're on the right track with that. That's awesome. So then I'm not you know, dispelling any of that. those systems. They're awesome. And then two, right to go along with that, it kind of goes with fixing operations, but you got to be obsessive about your talent. 
um, your talent, your people function, whatever you're calling it, you got to really nail that function. And if you're looking to scale, you got to be hiring people at a constant level that have been there, done that, and that are, that are smarter than you. Um, which, you know, if you came into my companies, you would look around and say, you're a bunch of great people here. Uh, and there are, I'm really proud of our leadership teams. Um, and people say, how come you don't get involved next Y and Z? And my answer is for the most part, and we have some gaps on this, but for the most part, I'm not smart enough to be in those conversations. You know, people ask me, how do you handle this? And I say, I don't know. That's the CFO. No idea. I just have no idea. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to answer that question. Well, how do I handle this set of operation structure? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know work structure that well to know the answer to that question. So you want to have people inside your business who are going to be taking it to that next level. So you get your operation strong. You're going to layer in amazing people that are getting in front of where you are right now. And that, which is tough, which means you're always going to be spending money ahead of what you have. And I'm doing it right now. It sucks. Now, if you're living that journey, you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, Eric, I don't have that money. I got news for you. I'm in the same journey. I don't have that money either. But if we don't invest that cash ahead of where we are and make these hires that don't always make sense by the books, we're not going to get the talent and the people in the, in the room at a senior level uh, to be able to get the company where it needs to go. What happens when, when you do that, when you, don't, when you don't do that, like you're describing? So you'll end up, so what happens is the company ends up only being able to grow and be as smart as the brain share in the room is. So I don't know how else to describe that, um, but your company at, 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 you know, at senior levels bumps up against the smartest of the, of the combined talent of the room itself. So wherever you have a gap is where generally you're going to see your company struggle. Got so it. you want to then hire ahead in that seat. Now, it doesn't mean the hiring is always the best solution. There's a lot of things in your company you can investigate, but I will tell you, uh, as we become more investing in our companies, we start to actually look at taking investments in our companies and we work with private equity firms that are trying to nail it. And some of our early clients who are absolutely killing it. Their formula is always the same, which is to bring yeah. in your super smart CRO, your super smart CMO, your COO, your CFO, your CTO and all of their O's you can think of. And they've been there, done that. And your company now just kind of becomes an incubator and then it just skyrockets. So right. if you're trying to really scale and you're like, well, I'm trying to scale, but I don't want to spend money because I like my current team, it's not going to happen. And, and it's also not to blow out your people either. So to be clear on that, we have a very open culture and I work at some companies that are even better than ours, where they understand at some point I'm going to be moving into a lateral move into a middle management position unless they really have a long neck and they can really stretch themselves but they, they just can't in most cases, right. you know, and they shouldn't try to, honestly, it's destructive for them. So we're always trying to find out where do we need gaps as we scale the company? Where can we move people laterally? But we got to have those senior people that have been there, done that. So that's two. Now, real quick on that, not to yeah. let you get through your list, you know, I'm going to yep. beat up each point. It's really hard to hire in front of yourself, not just for the money reasons, but also are they bullshitting you or are they actually smarter than you? Yeah. So <laughs> and then, and, and then, you know, I, I think a lot of us, I've personally messed this up a thousand times. Yeah, like, me oh, too. It's really expensive. You must be great. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me too. So you're not alone there Me too. <laughs> and I still, and I still do. And everybody does. So if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I don't want to get it wrong. You, I actually encourage you to get it wrong. Just try mm -hmm. and get it wrong uh, over a shorter period of time. So it costs you less money. Yeah. Um, because you will get it wrong. I get it wrong epically, honestly, at a high level. And it's actually even tougher when you get it wrong. And you know this, and, and I've lived this many times. It gets tougher to actually know if you're wrong at a high level because they're in front of you. So you don't even know that they're wrong in some cases. Right. Um, and then my answer to that is sometimes just trust your gut. You know, you think you made a wrong hire. Uh, you know, it's a great expression. The minute you think you made a right you made a wrong hire, then fire the person. It's it's great, it's a great way to look at things. Um but, you know, you're going to get it wrong. So just do the best you can. And if it doesn't feel right, then move on from it. Yeah. Because um, it's not going to work for you. Um, but at the same time, I will say you got to stretch yourself mentally, too. Like I've been in situations where I'm thinking, well, I don't love this person. And there's a little bit of me having to realize I got to challenge myself because one of the reasons I don't like the way they do things in some cases is because I'm not growing enough myself as the CEO. Yeah. So there's a balance there. I get challenged you know, almost tiringly by my staff on a constant basis. And they're always challenging me. And a lot of, I got to listen to it and say, are they wrong? And I got to own that. Or I, it was just an area where I need to grow. 
and they're yeah. telling something that's really intelligent. And that's why you need to have a great team around you to kind of synthesize those questions. Help you figure that out. I de I've definitely experienced that where you have that gut feel and then you try to work to make it go away. And yeah. then my thought now that I've learned is if it, you if you can't make it go away, then, you, then that that person does because that yeah. gut is actually telling you something you should listen to. Don't yes. mill your senses to it. You know, and, and that that Casey is where we default. You know, it, yeah. and, and some people look at us. I think they look at me sometimes and think I'm going to wimp. They'll say, "Should I cut the person?" I'll say, "Do you really think you should cut the person?" And they'll say, "Yeah." Then I'll say, and I, sometimes I think to myself, "Well, I like them. It would work for me." but it doesn't work for you. So the answer is yes, you need to cut them because it's your company and you need to run your company and makes you comfortable in the way that makes right. you comfortable. Right. Um, but ultimately, even if it's just incremental, you should be making sure your people function, get stronger and stronger, yeah. especially people, at the senior level. Yeah. Ultimately, powerful, your company, yeah. Ultimately your company as it scales has to be strong at a senior level first. And then you start making sure it's strong at every other level in the business at the same time. Okay. So that's the second thing. So you got your operations strong, you have an extremely strong senior team of players that have been there, done that, that you've built and you've gone through that risk and that struggle. The third thing is, oh, this is hard, hard, hard. Oh, no. uh, you got to figure out your place in the market. Okay. Now, here's what we mean by that. Now, we are extremely deliberate about this. So what is your market? Like, what are you trying to be? And there's all kinds of great reading around this. Jim Collins, um, hedgehog concept, um, you know, all about being amazing at what you do. But you got to figure out what are you going to lean into? Okay, so we break it down into two categories. Either you can be a commodity type business or you can be a, a, a we call this a unique strategy, unique business strategically. We really don't have a name for it, but it's really just a, a unique business of some kind, okay? So if you're a commodity type business, then you're basically leaning in on figuring out, then what are you better at? Are you cheaper? Are you faster? Are you higher quality? Because there's 50 of you in the market. Um, are you gonna deliver it in a different way? Are your people just gonna, you know, gonna give you, you know, mints on your pillows every night? Um, if you're a hotel, does it mean you're going to be the Ritz? Because the Ritz is just the hotel is just a commodity, right? So if you're if you're the the Ritz, are you going to deliver the same product, but it's just going to be better at what it is? Right. So, but the Ritz does not have you know there is no there's I would argue that's a commodity. It's another hotel. That's really it. Then what is better? It's a, so then they they lean in on quality. So they're going to say that we're going to be the best quality hotel we can be, uh, and we're going to make this service to be stupid and be amazing and all that kind of stuff. And that's their strategy, but it's really a commodity strategy on the, or on the flip side. And there's an and or here, are you going to try and come up with some kind of unique offering for the market? Like, are you going to solve an actual problem that exists in the market or that you think exists in the market? And then that's where you get your companies, you know, um, you know, I would argue that to some degree, Disney's really a commodity. It's a theme park that there's a lot of theme parks out there, but they've leaned in on what they want. They're on the strategy with their theme parks to be, which is family based with an actual theme that's extremely obsessively focused on making people happy. But ultimately I would say it's a commodity. They just happen to do it much better than everybody else. And there's cu culture and core values are one of the reasons for that. But if you look at like a, uh, an Apple, that is not a commodity. You could argue it isn't because it's a phone, but I would say not, no. The reason that, that the, re the reason we read these books and love Steve Jobs is because he decided he wanted to create an experience and he wanted to create the uh, iPhone, uh, um, uh, the uh, iPod and right. his personal handheld devices. Uh, that's solving a problem in the market. He wanted to have a less, you know, that's a, that's a unique offering that you can, you can have and that's important. So that's a differentiator for him. Amazon's actually, we consider to be a commodity company. Only thing they're, but, but they're leaning in and picking where they're going to fight their battles. So where's Amazon fighting their battle? They're fighting them on variety of products. They're fighting yeah. it on ease of purchase. Delivery. Um, and, and they're fighting it on, um, uh, uh, a variety. So it's variety, it's variety, ease of purchase, three of them, variety, ease of purchase, um, and, uh, speed of delivery. Ugh, I forget that one. So that's, but that's Amazon. So you might think, well, Amazon's an amazingly run company. Well, maybe, I don't know. I don't know a single person inside the company. I never interacted with anybody in my life, um, via email or otherwise, but I know I like them because they are fast. They have a lot of variety of things that I can look at because these days they basically, if I have my credit card near the machine, it happens to know what my credit card number is. So right. it makes it purchase extremely easy. Yeah. So that's their strategy that they've leaned into. 
uh, Starbucks strategy was to create this, this, um, you know, this third place for you to, to live and hang out. That was their right. strategy in between home and work, right? It's that other right. place. Exactly. The third yeah. place, right. That was their strategy. Um, McDonald's strategy was to have the same, was to have something that tastes the same across all the different locations, and then maximize their portfolio based on real estate. So mm. if you're focusing on just running the operations in your business, you're not having these conversations. Uh, or if you are, they are a 5% of the conversation when they really, at some point, once you get operations fixed, they need to be 50% of the conversation until you get it dialed in. Now, of course, once you get this, that, that those differentiators dialed in and you really figure out, you really think that's going to nail the market, then you go back to operating your business again and scaling it because now you have that dialed in. So now you kind of go back to operations and scaling it because you, the strategy now kind of goes to the wayside and you go into execution. The other thing you got to figure out when you figure out these uniques is your target market and your size of your target market and, and your it's we call it the you know any this is any consultant knows this your total your TAM your total addressable market, you know who are we selling to what's the size of the ecosystem, what is the total amount of dollars available there, the reason we want to know that is because we want to know what how big is this pie we're trying to slice what percentage of that pie can we get, uh, and is it worth this is the juice worth the squeeze, uh, and then then the last question we ask ourselves is we know what we're going to market with. Uh, then we say, um, how are we going to actually get those clients? So if we know we're going to market with we think it's unique what we're offering, and it has to be unique. I will tell you, two-thirds of the companies we work with are not unique. And, I, and we tell them, look, we don't see it. You're going to be 10% grower, 15 maybe in the max, until you figure out what the next best thing is that you're going to offer. Um, but until you dial in or, or what you're going to be amazing at, if it's going to be pricing, you know, Walmart, then we got to be, you know, Walmart's a terrible company to do business with, but they're amazing to buy from because they put right. pricing as a strategy. So I could go on and on about the strategy stuff, but, you know, Walmart only has two strategies. And if I ask you what they are, but I'm going to try right now. They have two strategies that Walmart nails. What are they? Uh, cheap. And? Nearby. Uh, if I gave you, if I gave you five minutes, you'd say it. Their second strategy is to, have an, <clears throat> is to have an old person in the front who smiles at you. Are you Their really? second strategy is a smiley person. That's it. Their strategy is to have a smiley person so they have this feel-good environment that you're gonna, and they're going to hammer the crap out of their vendors on pricing, and they're going to yeah. give you the absolute lowest prices. Everybody hates interacting with Walmart from a pricing standpoint, sure. yeah. except for the consumers. Except for the consumers, right. And now all of a sudden, you've got Walmart, one of the biggest companies out there. But you take out that strategy you take out that smiley person in the front to counteract those pricing issues, the pricing, you take any of that out, and now you are Sears. You're, you're dead, right? You're, you're done. So it's, once again, operations versus strategy and leaning in on what that strategy is. So then the fourth thing, so you got your strategy dialed in. You know who your addressable market is. You know how to sell to them. The fourth thing is, you got to get your sales, marketing, and operations functions lined up against those things. So you got to have it clear so that everybody understands. So everybody says, well, we are, our, our, our uniques, our differentiators, our value prop is this. The sales team knows what they are. They're very clear. The operations team internally knows that they need to deliver against that. Right. So if you look at Walmart, you look at Disney, you look at these amazing companies, Everybody at Disney right now, even though they have all kinds of craziness going on, they're tough to do business with. The cast members there know that their number one job is to make people happy. So mm -hmm. they have alignment on that concept that's important to Disney. So you're going to have your people that are delivering and your people that are selling aligned around what those unique value props are. And it has to be apparent to the consumer. If we listed 10 amazing companies out here right now between you and I and sitting around having a beer, I bet you we can nail the strategy of all 10 of them within 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Because it's apparent to us by doing business with them what their strategy is. And internally, they're lined up against that too. And that's how you nail that strategy. Yeah, otherwise, um, you have the whiplash of promising something and delivering something completely foreign. You know, you landed your spaceship on Earth and you end up on Mars and you're like, where are yes. the trees? So you need yes. to align those. Correct. Or, and, or you, uh, you hammer your sales team because you're just like, sell more, sell more, sell more. And which I've been very guilty of, but the reality is, if there's if there's too much friction in the market, the sales team's working too hard. You got to look at your strategy again. So you can't, as as one of my very wise clients told me once, you can't 
you can't always outsell your way out of a problem. You got to sit and reflect and ask yourself, why is this so difficult for a sales team? And That's a good call, man, because I know a lot of sales VPs are like, we're just going to pound those phones and numbers in the top equal numbers at the bottom. And right. there's some efficiency to be gained if you just figured out number three there. And I was going to ask That's you if correct. there's a magic button that helps you find that fit. Yes. As we know, you can go into an Apple store and deal with somebody who makes you feel stupid and make it very difficult for you to buy from them. And yet you will spend $1,200 on a phone. Yeah. So it's all about your offering. And in that case, in a lot of cases, that's the thing. So you can't just beat your sales team up. You got to ask yourself, why is the product not selling itself? And then the last thing is um, you got to adopt what we call a red light customer service culture, which is, you know, and this is, you know, there's none of this is simple. This combines um, uh, to the degree that we are scaling. If we can have a certain amount of churn, that's okay. But I will tell you as a whole, we still believe that the, you have to have a culture where if the customer is unhappy and you can control it, we call it the red light, red light uh, culture. You, sh you should be saying we have a problem and the company should be going into some degree of freakout mode. Your clients have got to understand that nothing matters more to you than them. Nothing. They must feel like they're the only people in the world that exist at all times. And then when they have an issue, if they're reasonable humans, that the entire company feels like they're on red alert. And if you do that, you won't have churn. You know, now if it's part of your model and you're scaling and you can't keep, keep that up and you're now at the 40, 50, $60 million hump, no problem. But if you want to get to that hump, your clients better absolutely love you and they better feel that when they're working with you and then they won't leave you. Right. And we found that. So get your business operationally strong, fix your talent and people function, figure out your place in the market, figure out what your differentiators are, figure out what you're going to lean into. Get your sales, marketing, and ops functions lined up against it, and then adopt a red light customer service uh, culture. And that, that goes a long way. Boom. Just are, like that. <laughs> yeah. I love that try list, get it done by Try and get it done a couple the, hours. Right. But that, I know. I, but that, even that, it makes me, you know, even as we look at the time, you know, I, yeah. I, I could see talking to you all day about these things. And I guess that's oh, where- huge. You know, and each one of these things, especially number three, that place in the market. I, it's a great reminder for me to those other ones are easier. All of yeah. the other ones. Are, so the place in the market is tough. Yeah. And I'll tell you, and we could spend a, we could spend time more. You and I have fun just talking about it for fun. But you can. Um, I tell you, a lot of times it's accidental. You got it's, it's, it's more accidental than you might think to find that. So you got to listen yeah. to the business. Sometimes you got to run it. We're having some experience issues with some experiences right now with the culture, the, the, our consulting business that we're having successes that I got to tell you, we weren't planning on them. We, mm -hmm. we, they weren't what we expected. We were having successes because of reasons that were not really part of our initial strategy. And right. now we realize, Oh, that's what you like. Well, then we're going to lean into that. So you got to kind of listen. And, you know, I just, you're right. I rattled off a bunch of stuff there. You could spend a year or two years or three years dialing the strategy in. And that is totally not a problem. What is most important though is that you understand I got to get my operation strong and I got to get my strategy dialed into. You just got to know you got to dial in and dial both of those in. Yeah. You can't, can obsess and get tunnel vision in one versus the other. Uh, yeah, crazy, man. Really crazy. Really well, important. you obviously, we've worked together in the past, but my question next to you is like, who are you? Who is this guy yeah. named Eric Cruz that uh, has launched painting companies and now consulting companies. And yeah. I mean, take me back little Eric days. Did you know you're going to be CEO and coach to yeah, the stars? This is a great question. I was actually with a, at a holiday party for one of my clients last night. And I got that question from a couple couple different people. Um, the reality is I'm, 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 a, I'm a fourth generation of entrepreneurs and on both sides of my family, which is crazy. Like that's uh that's just weird. And it took me until, um, you know, maybe 10 years ago to even think about that. And I started to think about all my relatives. They all run companies of their own. Wow. It's in, it's in my blood. Um, and, uh, and I grew up in a, in a pretty modest, uh, modest middle, middle-class environment. Um, and, um, I, I just watched my parents and everybody else go through this business journey. And I, I, it's just who I am. So when I work with clients, um, and I did this for years as a volunteer first in the EO Accelerator program, which is an amazing program if you can have a chance to get be part of it. But um, it's just what I love to do. So to me, I have a 
and I still do, and my staff laughs at me. Um, if I see an entrepreneur, you know, we, we focus on the sub $40 million uh, crowd to start with. Um, if I see one of them not having the resources they need or, or struggling, I have like a visceral emotional reaction to that. Like it really makes me upset. And that's probably because I grew up in a, a family of people that that's all they were. So yeah. to me, it's kind of like my, my, my brethren are hurt or they don't have the resources they need. They need somebody to help them out. Um, right. So, you know, if you cut yeah, me you open, see your family reflected in there, right? So it's like, yeah, your, your dad and your parents and your aunts and your family members reflected in, you know, the, the yes, people that are running these companies. And sometimes, right. you know, uh, the team forgets, but you know, they're people too. We're all people right. too. <laughs> We're not yes. perfect. And, so you and I think honestly, entrepreneurs cool. are people, are people first, because yeah. to me, the entrepreneurs are taking risks and trying things that are completely, um, unpredictable, um, risking everything they have to do these things. They know they're going to be failing it, it, it for certain periods of time. Um, and you know, they get beat up by their friends for, you know, for, you know, you should, maybe you should do something else. The government beats us up sometimes. Sometimes it helps us. Thank you during COVID uh, government, but you know, it's tough to be an entrepreneur. Um, and it's very, very lonely. So the, the journey I'm talking to you about with this, you know, leaning on strategy, and a lot of that work is with your team, but a lot of it, you got to own it. If you're the visionary of your company, you got to own it. And you got to spend a lot of time under a tree and that can be lonely time. So, um, but when I'm in the entrepreneurs organization, those, that's my tribe. Those are my people. And when I'm yeah. around them, I learn so much from them first and foremost. Um, and, you know, that's my, that's my crowd. Now, other than that, personally, I got, I got a wife, two kids, 15 year old and 12 year old. And I actually live in New England because I love the water and I grew up, um, um, loving boats. And, um, I spent a lot of time sailing and, um, um, racing boats and my kids are little junior racers. And then we spend a lot of time skiing in the wintertime. So How many hours would life. you say you have under sail? Uh, so we sail, I sail a lot. I also got that question last night. So your, your entire life, you wait, you got this sailing question last night. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's a big, you actually a big, did a prep for the podcast last night. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So if we, we try and get as close as our clients as we can. So if I can go yeah. to a holiday party and I actually have the time to do it, then I will. But, um, you know, so I race every Saturday in the summertime, um, for three or four hours at a time on a boat called J70. Um, and uh, I used to race Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays until my you know kids got a little bit older. Um, we ski, uh, my, my family, one of us is, we ski every single weekend at Waterville Valley, uh, from Thanksgiving to Easter. Um, so, you know, we're a pretty focused family on, on, on entrepreneurship, uh, sailing. I'm a big, I'm a big volunteer at the yacht club, um, uh, where our kids are very involved, uh, skiing, sailing, uh, entrepreneurship and, 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 and sleep. And that's pretty much what we have. Um, that's what's going on in my world. Amazing. Uh, I I'm excited for skiing. I don't know if you had it down there, but we got a little snow I saw it. today. I saw so it. So I'm excited about the, the yeah, mountains beginning it. to open. But you're going to, you're going to, you're going to start doing your, your ski patrol stuff, which right. I'm, extremely yeah, excited I'm, for. I'm, I'm gunning for it, but I'm the, I'm the new guy. So I'm going to be that annoying. Hey, how can I help? Hey, what can I learn? <laughs> I, I think you're, you're dialed in perfectly what you're going to be doing there. You're going to have, oh, a I can't wait, man. I can't wait to uh, awesome. rescue people off the mountain, but tell me Waterville I've skied there before. I don't know if you remember, but I'm just curious. Do you have a favorite trail there? Do you have a favorite area there? Sure. So um, I've got a lot into cross country skiing recently, which is a lot of fun. Um, but um, I like skiing down um, uh, uh, really the blues. Yeah. So um like go to the top and go to the left kind of thing. Yeah. So I like the blues because they're kind of just a fun journey. So I like upper bobbies um, and, you know, upper bodies, bobbies going into white caps is a good run. So I certainly do the steeps too. Steeps are fun, but I like to cruise the blues and kind of go as fast as I can. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like every parent of kids these days, I go to the mountain a lot these days to sit at the bottom of the mountain and watch um, my daughter come down the hill on the ski race. So that's cool too, though. That, like that sounds cool. So, yeah. But it's, um, but I still do a lot of skiing. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, there's some every now and then a little challenge, you know, when, you know, like true grit is iced over, 
but then it, yeah. it is nice to just you know enjoy the the down on one of those other yes. those other trails when it's yes. in conditions agreed doesn't agreed. have to be survival every time you know agreed agreed uh, crazy man well hey real quick tell me about the consulting group i know the painting uh has been around for a long time but this is relatively yeah. new this consulting group and you guys are just growing like crazy i mean yeah. tell me about it so um my business when I was, was growing up that I ran, I ran a company called Collegiate Entrepreneurs. We taught college kids how to run businesses for the summer. Uh, we probably, in the 20 years I've owned it, employed close to 12,000 people. Um, and it's been a great journey. We worked with, I think, 1,200 or 1,300, or I don't even know how many, uh, maybe probably, probably many more than that, branch managers teaching them how to run a business. And when you learn how to do that nationally and run lots of people, it just lends itself to being able to scale other companies. So... That's actually being sold right now uh, in, the, in the process of getting that transaction done to a very long time person that's worked in that business. And he's thrilled to be part of that. And, and I'm really excited for him. So after 20 years, I'm going to be selling that business. And then we started a commercial painting business just to take advantage of the upswing in the market and the economy maybe six or seven years ago. And that business is growing rapidly. Uh, we own, I think mm. we hit 560 or 570 in the Inc. 5000. Um, Wow. Last year. Crap. Oh, yeah. It's massive, massive growth in that business. I have a great leadership team in that company. I have a partner um, that's worked for me for 20 years and has been my partner in that business for six or seven years. So I'm still sitting in the VP of sales seat in that company. So I still am actually a real entrepreneur. But then, you know, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, 10 years ago, um, I uh, got into volunteering for, for helping out other entrepreneurs. And then that led to one of my early clients throwing me this uh, traction book, this EOS book, which I, I did for years. Uh, it was Glenn Grant, you know, kudos to Glenn Grant. He's doing Glenn. some coaching on his own. Very good friend yeah. of mine. Yeah. He was um, on here too and talked about selling yeah. his business. Yeah. He's great. And I worked with him through all that process. Um, and uh, so, and then just kind of blew up from there. And honestly, it wasn't my intention to grow a large consulting company, but people started joining the firm, wanted to be consultants with us. And then we ended up leaving EOS. We, we really adopted uh, our, 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 our brand promise, which is that we're obsessed on helping companies grow their profitability, their revenue, and the actual value of the business itself. So we ended up leaving EOS because we just wanted to really focus on being consultants and not just implementing a system. We wanted to implement the system, but provide entrepreneurs all the other services they might need just beyond the system, uh, with the system in addition to the system to make sure they really did grow. So we have our operating system, Growth, which our clients run on. Um, and then we have a finance company also with a team of CFOs and controllers and bookkeepers, uh, CCG Finance. That's a separate business, and a lot of our clients use that service. And we offer uh, M&A services and marketing and content and all that kind of fun stuff as well. But really, it's this consulting company that focuses on getting small businesses, the under $45, $50 million crowd, to get them to become medium-sized, much larger businesses and helping them scale. So we are getting ready to onboard probably in the next month or so, our 100th active customer. And uh, we onboard about two or three new consultants every quarter uh, from all over North America right now, uh, Canada, United States. Um, and uh, it's a blast. It's, uh, we focus on all the things we talk about. So I get the pleasure of working with entrepreneurs um, and working with my team. And also being an entrepreneur at the same time. And yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's truly a, 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 a joy, honestly. I can see that same passion of you, you were teaching the, the college students how to do business. They've grown up a little bit and now you're teaching them yes. how to grow and scale. The, so it's that same why, that same underlying is, coaching. Then yes, that is our why. Our why, and it comes from our, our heart, is that we want entrepreneurs to be successful. And we want them... They're going to have to have the same pains that we all have to some degree, but we'd like, you know, our really, our North Star, our BHAG, other than working with a thousand clients across North America, which is our target. But our real BHAG is to take that stat you hear that entrepreneurs are going to have a lot of failure and it's going to, it's going to have like 1% of a gazillionth of a percent ever are going to be successful and everybody else is going to die in like a volcano. I think that terrible stat that you hear about entrepreneurs, we yeah. want to take that stat and improve it. We want to say, well, that doesn't have to be the case. Entrepreneurship is bloody, but doesn't have to be deadly. You know, it, it, right. we want to make sure that the journey is a little bit easier for people and that their ability to scale, they have the resources that honestly, I never had. Um, I always say, I always tell the team, I wish I had our resources when I was growing businesses because I didn't. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and they're not out there a lot for small business. And um, our goal is to is to provide those things for people to make their journey a little bit easier. Amazing. Where can people reach out if you want them to to contact you? Social platforms, websites. So they can reach. They can go to the cruiseconsultinggroup.com. Is it, uh, the, can, isn't it? Is it the Cruise Consulting Group? Uh, no, I think it's just cruise, just cruiseconsultinggroup.com. Cruise. Okay. They can reach me at Eric at cruiseconsultinggroup.com, um, and we'll make sure they get connected either with me or with somebody on the team that's going to help them out. Um, and uh, yeah, awesome. And uh, you'll probably reach on LinkedIn as well, some for some connections. Oh, yeah, absolutely, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. We're everywhere, all over the Amazing. place. Amazing, amazing. Well, this this has been fantastic, but it, it feels like a drop in the bucket. You know, it feels like we just scratched the surface and we got some, re- I mean, the five and the three, but yeah. uh, thank you so much for coming on here. And well, just it's my, this. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, first of all, Casey, it's always nice to see you and talk to you. Uh, you've done a lot of cool stuff. Um, the podcasting journey is a really cool one to watch and yeah. it's the passion that you have and it's exciting to see you do that. Um, and second of all, like I said, you know, when I'm with the entrepreneurs, that's, uh, you know, we're a consultant, consulting company in, in a lot of ways, I actually hate consultants because I just, I, I just, I like practitioners. I like, I love entrepreneurs. So we've kind of tried to become the unconsulting company. So I hope who's mm-hmm. ever listening, if you're on your entrepreneurial journey, whether you end up working with us or not, um, don't feel alone because it is a hard, 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 hard journey. Uh, and um, um, you should be proud of yourselves just for doing it. Um, and uh, you know, I'm grateful to be on the show with you. Absolutely, man. Uh, and and for those listening, those on their journey listening, if you learn something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes front and back, then share this episode with someone else. That is literally the definition of being a thought leader in your ecosystem, whether it's on LinkedIn or whatever platform, share this content with other people, whatever you learn, the five from Eric, the three things to remember that what matters most there's so many takeaways. Maybe just rewind this thing and start from the beginning again. Um, and certainly take advantage of EO, take advantage of Accelerator, as well Definitely. as the Cruise Consulting yeah. Group. Um, yeah. So, Eric, thank you again, man. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone, this has been uh, an amazing episode of Leadership in Action. We will see you all next time. Leadership in Action is sponsored by the Boston Chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. As the world's only peer-to-peer network exclusively for entrepreneurs, EO helps transform the lives of those who transform the world.